Amen. If you've got a Bible with this morning, go ahead and turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. This morning, in light of these vows that we have taken, we are going to give some charges, specifically a charge to Brother Thad as a new elder from God's word. What does it require of him and why? And from God's word also, Brother Charlie is going to get up after me and give a charge to us as a congregation. How should we think about our responsibilities given Thad as a new elder? These charges, it may be tempting to think the part I need to listen to is the second part because I fall under the congregation. And this charge is specifically to Thad. So that's understanding to think that, understandable to think that way. But I want to encourage you. What we're going to look at for this charge is from 1 Peter 5. The charge is very clear. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. What I want to draw our attention to, though, and give this charge to Brother Thad in light of, is seven realities that we see in 1 Peter 5 that undergird all of this. And that is for all of us, not just Thad. Because these realities are the shape of the world we live in. And the shape of the world we follow Christ in. And the destiny of that world. And because of that, these realities are applicable to all of us. So I want to spend some time specifically meditating on these in light of eldering. But they are true and important to think about in light of just being a Christian. Because if you think about it, being an elder is being an exemplary Christian man. Following Jesus and leading others to follow Jesus as he has commanded us to do. And so it is for all of us. So I exhort you to hear, even though this exhortation is specific to elders. 1 Peter 5, 2, Peter writes, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. This is his clear exhortation. But I want to read the whole thing and think about these realities underneath. So would you pray with me and ask God for insight into his word to help us see and behold these as the true shape of reality? Let's pray. Father, I pray that you help us. Help us see in your word what you have done in Christ Jesus and how now we walk and live in this world as we await his return. Help us to see and behold the truth of these realities and cause us to live circumspectly in light of them. We pray that you would do this by your Holy Spirit. Open our eyes now to behold wonderful things from your word. Amen. 1 Peter 5, verse 1. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you. 
Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. I want to draw our attention to seven realities out of this text because seven is God's number. There's more than that, but these are the specific ones that I want to stand out to us. And there's three categories of these realities. The first is the shape of the task, the lay of the land. This is no easy Task. This is no light task, Brother Thad, that you have taken on, as you well know. First of all, reality number one. Shepherds shepherd a people in a place. These are specific people, and this is a specific place, brother, that you have been called to. As Peter says, shepherd the flock of God, verse 2, that is among you. This is the flock that God has given you, that reality is... That though you have chosen to serve as an elder here, now that you're serving as an elder here, you don't get to pick and choose who the sheep are. You did at least initially, so at least he picked you guys. But you don't get to pick and choose who the sheep are now. The reality is that the sheep that we shepherd are given by the all-wise chief shepherd. What that means is whoever is gathered under Christ's name in a local church is gathered there by the wisdom of the chief shepherd. And so that flock is good. The flock of God that God has given you to serve is good. Because you shepherd a people in a place and not all people in all places, the scope of your responsibilities are limited. These are the people God has put in your charge to be responsible for. It is enough to shepherd these people. Sometimes as a pastor in the church, it can get tempting to worry about other churches and to worry about other members of other flocks. And it is good to care, but they are not our responsibility. These people here are our responsibility, and that is a good thing. Zach Eswine puts it this way, and I think it's helpful in his book, Imperfect Pastor. He says, God has given you a handful of persons whom you are meant to love. You needn't become somebody else or constantly look over the shoulders of those people who are right in front of you. Attending to God's work among the faces, names, and stories where you are is to do already what God considers significant. God considers shepherding the flock of God that is among you significant work. And these people are that charge. Reality number two. Your adversary will oppose you in executing those duties with all of his might. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. This means that shepherding is a supernatural task. The world we live in is conspiring against us. And Satan is behind it to make you and I and all shepherds of God's people think that this is a natural task. 
that we do it in our own ability, and that we do it with the natural things that are in front of us. We saw in 2 Timothy, as we went through chapter 2, as Paul exhorts Timothy to rebuke his opponents with gentleness, he says it's because they've been captured by the devil to do his will. The reality is that Satan will use whatever he can to stop you in the task of leading this people to follow Jesus Christ. And he will do it in a supernatural way. This means that if you do this on your own, this task of shepherding God's people, you will be defeated because Satan is stronger than you by yourself. But he is not stronger than our King Jesus, right? As you referenced in your sermon just a couple weeks ago, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the powers and principalities and rulers of this present darkness that are at work in this evil age. That is the reality that you shepherd under. That's the reality that we shepherd under. The adversary will oppose us with all his might. And this means, reality number three, that Peter writes about here, you will suffer. This role that you have entered into is a suffering role. Verse 1, as Peter says, he's a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. You will suffer because King Jesus suffered. He told his disciples, expect persecution. If they hated the master, they will hate his disciples. You will suffer also because other Christians have suffered throughout the world, right? Verse uh, 10, uh, excuse me, verse 8. Nope, it's verse 9. I wrote down the wrong number. Verse (laughs) 9. Verse 9. Resist the devil, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. We know and can testify over and over again, and I know you're familiar with stories, brother, of pastors who have suffered for the sake of the gospel. This task is a suffering task. That's reality number three. But underneath that is the fact that this suffering is for your good. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8 to 10, Paul talks about the kind of suffering that he experienced. And he said it so utterly burdened him that he despaired of life itself. But what does he say? That was to make him rely not on himself, but on God who raises the dead. The kind of suffering that you experience will lead to you learning to rely not on yourself, but on God who raises the dead. In other words, it will lead to your sanctification. The reality of pastoral ministry that you have stepped into here is that it will lead to your sanctification. God intends to sanctify you through shepherding his people. Not only is this suffering that you will suffer for your good, but it's for the sake of the gospel. Paul continues in 2 Corinthians 4 when he talks about being pressed down but not crushed. Right? And he says all of this is because we have this treasure of the gospel in jars of clay. Showing that the power doesn't belong to us but belongs to Christ. Right? You get to embody the reality of the gospel in your suffering well for the sake of Christ in this role. This means that when you suffer, don't think of it as your failure. Don't assume that it means that you have somehow failed Christ. Don't assume that it means that Christ is somehow not caring for you. But rather, when you suffer because of doing good for the sake of the gospel, treat it like the apostles did. Rejoice that you're counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Christ. That's the shape of the task. It's no light task. 
You have a people in a place and the devil wants to conspire against you. And because of that, you will suffer. But there's help in the task. The help is no meager help. We see these realities in here. Reality number four is that you are not alone in this task. You have partners in the gospel. Peter says in verse one, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. He's already thinking plurality. He's already thinking together we're in this. He says in verse nine too that this suffering is being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. You are not alone in this church. You have Charlie and I as fellow elders, fellow brothers who love you dearly and are for you. This chief, one of the chief lies of Satan that he tries to tell God's ministers is that you're alone, is that there's no one else who understands and there's no one else who's for you. And that is simply not true. You have partners in the gospel who love you dearly here at this church and partners in the gospel who will pray for you outside of this church as well. We share sorrows and joys of ministry together. And that is a gift. It's one of God's good gifts to Charlie and I that we now get to share these with you as a fellow elder. Reality number five, though, not only are you not alone in the sense that you have fellow partners in the ministry, but you are not alone because your God cares for you. Verses five to seven, we see that clearly. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders, clothe yourselves, all of you with humility toward one another for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God is eager to give grace to those who humble themselves. This is why verse six says, humble yourselves, therefore. Under the mighty hand of God. So at the proper time, he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Not because he's all powerful, although that's true. Not not because you are weak, although that's true. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. This is why it is so encouraging in verse 10 when Peter says, after you've suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who has called you will himself restore, strengthen, etc. Will himself do these things because it is his good care for his servants. The reality is, Brother Thad, that the God of the universe who created and sustains everything and everyone, he himself is invested in your success as an elder because he cares for you and he cares for his church. He wants you to succeed and so he is behind you. It is an encouragement that Charlie and I love you and are for you. It is an even bigger encouragement that the God of the universe loves you and is for you. This is true. Your God cares for you. Reality number six, one that I find probably most encouraging, is that you are not the chief shepherd. Verse four, Peter says, when the chief shepherd appears... You receive the unfading crown of glory. The chief shepherd is coming. It is the chief shepherd's sheep. It is the groom's bride. You have the privilege as an elder of being a groomsman. Like John in John 3 rejoices when Christ increases and he decreases. You get to rejoice with joy seeing your redeemer redeem his bride. You are not the chief shepherd, and so the ultimate responsibility does not rest on your shoulders. It rests on Christ. 
One of the greatest pieces of advice that I got from a dear brother, Chuck Stedham, who you actually know, <laughs> told me once, and I think I've said it to you before, but I'm going to say it again, that, that as much as we can love our people, as much as we love and care about someone and want to help them and want to see Christ in their life and change them and bring them hope and joy, Jesus wants it so much more. And he is so much more able to do it. As much as you love someone, Jesus loves them more. And so, yes, love the flock. But remember that they are not your bride, they're Christ's. The chief shepherd will return and claim his bride. And that is the third category, the end of the task. It's a glorious, glorious end because reality number seven, the chief shepherd is coming back. When the chief shepherd returns, Peter says in verse 4, when the chief shepherd returns, the reality is that pastoring is a noble task under the chief shepherd, is a hard, hard work with much suffering and much joy, but it is also a seasonal work. It will end someday. Someday your tenure as elder here will be done. Someday my tenure as elder here will be done. Someday Charlie's tenure here as an elder will be done. That may be because we move on to a different ministry. It may be because Jesus comes back at that time. The reality is that the chief shepherd is coming back to claim his bride. And therefore all elders are seasonal workers. As we've seen in Ecclesiastes and in the pastorals. Satan, as he prowls around like a lion, is seeking to deceive us into forgetting that Jesus is coming back. Into living like this life is all there is. But Peter wants elders to know that Jesus is coming back and he's bringing with him a crown of glory. He's bringing with him that well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master that we all long to hear. So friend, elder in light of that. The reward is great. The chief shepherd is coming back. But we don't have to wait until the chief shepherd comes back to get a taste of that glory. Peter says in verse 1, he's a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed. He's a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed. What that means is That he gets to foretaste, even now, the glory that's coming when Christ returns. One of the chief ways we get to do that as elders is because we get a front seat to the work of Christ in people's lives. Harold Sinkbill in his Cure Cure of Souls book says it this way. He says, the nobility of the office of elder resides not in the man who holds the office, but in the Lord who has commissioned and sent him. And just as Jesus finds his delight in continually doing the work of the Father, so pastors continue to extend Jesus' work among his people. Here's what happens. Here's the thing he says. The Lord of the church gives his ministry to pastors for their enjoyment. He gives them a front row seat in the drama of salvation. Pastors get to experience the joy of seeing Jesus at work through what they say and do in his name. We get to be partakers of the glory that's going to be revealed as we see the Spirit of God change people into the image of Christ right before our eyes. We get a unique view of that as elders that often 
other people don't get to see because they're not there in those moments. It is a great privilege. It is a great joy to see those things. So brother, in light of the shape of the task that is very difficult and includes many joys and sufferings, and in light of the equipment that God has given us for the task, including one another and himself, and in light of the reality that he is returning, I exhort you, in the words of Peter, to shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Do it willingly, do it eagerly, do it as setting an example to the flock. I exhort you to clothe yourself in humility, knowing that God opposes the proud but gives much grace to the humble. I exhort yourself to cast your anxieties on Christ. He cares for you and he is coming back. And I exhort you, resist the devil. He will flee for those who are trusting in Christ. So brother, after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen.